Hello and welcome to the Brand Forum podcast. I'm your host, John Fanning. Today's podcast features Two Drifters Distillery, which is the world's first carbon negative B Corp rum distillery, founded by Russ and Gemma Wakeham, a husband and wife team from Devon in 2019. It is the perfect blend of science, innovation, and a great tasting product. I'd like to start with you, Russ, if you could tell me about your educational background and how that helped you develop the most sustainable distillery uh, that I've ever heard of. <laughs> very kind of you to say. Um, yeah, sure. So my, my background is in chemistry. Uh, studied at university, uh, went on to do uh, post, postgraduate degrees as well, uh, and then continued into research, working as an academic chemist. Um, and really the area I was focused in research-wise was looking at carbon capture, carbon storage, turning CO2 into different products, looking for any way I can to add value to CO2 because uh, chucking it up into the atmosphere is at the moment the easiest option because it's not worth much to keep hold of. So if you can incentivize people to keep it through money, um, then then you know companies and, and individuals will. And that kind of... Uh, so that background kind of lends itself a lot to um, distilling first and foremost so organic chemistry was the specific area I was focusing on and distilling is part of the day job (laughs) here you can't really drink the products that you're making but um, it kind of it kind of inspired me to think okay I'm confident I could distill Uh, and then the other aspects that kind of come in are my personal passion for making alcohol I started making cider probably you know university days is something to (laughs) keep the keep the winter nights at bay but uh basically it started with cider started understanding fermentation moved into kind of beer making uh and then Gemma and I particularly kind of jumped onto the the beer making thing together and that's when the seeds for the business started to make sense and the shift into rum rum being our favorite spirit was kind of natural for us from there right so you've got a long background in that in creating drinks in one form or another what exactly yeah. what, what was the motivation behind your commitment to sustainability so that comes from exactly back to that those academic days so um yeah sat sat in the lab uh researching at your desk in a university uh, is quite a, a cl- enclosed space where you you end up talking to lots of other academics about the problems that the world faces in terms of climate change um and really there's a lot of talk but there's you know just not enough action for my liking and so how the the kind of thought process behind it was how can we bring something that will get other people to listen to you um and you know we had lots of great academic events where you'd be talking to people that had come to the event specifically to hear from you but they were still still in an echo chamber um and it, it kind of those outreach events that you have from universities are a great kind of inspiration and the thought process was if you could bring alcohol to the table perhaps you'd get a lot more people listening to what you have to say so then if you bring the sustainability side and introduce them to technologies and other interesting ideas that can do something about climate change action um but over a drink a nice glass of rum you know or a cocktail they'll listen to you much more closely so the, the rum, the rum aspect was from your own personal interest as a favourite spirit. Uh, the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, it's probably a good idea to ask Gemma about how that <laughs> that kind of started because yeah, it goes back to our first date, really. <laughs> yes, Russ brought me along on his rum journey. Uh, it was I don't know, 
13, 14 years ago when we first met. Um, he took me on a rum tasting evening in Bristol. And that's how we first got talking about rum. Rum had been in Russ's life for years before that. He said every paycheck he'd go and spend it on a good bottle of rum each time. His rum collection was amazing. Um, and I hadn't really come across it much in my lifetime. And then when I met Russ, he, my eyes just opened to this amazing spirit crafted from sugar that just has the most amazing flavours and is so much more than just a rum and coke. It, yeah, it's changed my life. And there's no tradition of rum in Devon. I mean, the, the, there's no connection there, is there? Uh, well, not specifically, I would say, but um, perhaps it links back to pirate kind of days. I was thinking um, that, yeah. In people's minds. <laughs> yeah. and, and specifically the Navy. There's obviously a big naval port right. down in Plymouth. Yeah. And so yeah. there, there's a natural link. But... So there is there is a connection. Tell us about the, the raw materials for the rum and how careful you are in making sure that every aspect of that is sustainable. There's lots of things that we can't influence, right? We, we have no control over where the sugarcane is grown. Um, the sugarcane is the, the main basis of the, the uh, it's the main raw material. So um, the only rule with rum as a spirit is that it must be made from something derived from sugarcane. And so sugarcane inherently grows in warm tropical um, conditions and will, you know, isn't found locally to us. And so you know that you've got a problem uh, immediately in terms of sustainability because there's always going to be a large transport element and to your emissions. So within your supply chain, it's inherent that there's a large uh, contribution. So, you know, that's where you kind of think about carefully, okay, what are we going to do about it afterwards? I can't influence that. Um, but we use Tate & Lyle, is, in, is based in East London. And so for us, that's the most local source of the molasses. The molasses is, of course, the byproduct of refining the sugarcane. Uh, and so it's a waste product that's predominantly used as cattle feed here in, in the, the UK. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an easy feedstock that's readily available um, because, you know, there's lots of sugar being consumed elsewhere. And every single aspect of production you have gone into and made sure that it's as sustainable as possible. Could, is there any aspects of that you could describe or uh, elaborate on? Yeah, sure. So um, the, the two main ones to kind of think about is uh, is that the, the main contributors, I mean by that, are the, uh, the sugarcane, the molasses, that trip across to the UK from ours comes from Central America. So we know that that journey is about a third of the CO2 emissions that we cause by producing a bottle of rum. Um, but the other big contributor where there's, there's kind of a good story is the, uh, is the glass bottle. So with the glass bottle, uh, our initial branding, we thought it would be good uh, to have a very thick, heavy bottom glass bottle um, because it, you know, it feels premium and it's chunky and stocky. And that seemed to be what everyone else did. So we started off thinking that was a good idea. But it had a painful journey in terms of uh, the CO2 contribution. So the glass was produced in Italy. Um, it was shipped to Slovenia, from Slovenia went to France, and from France it was sent to a UK distribution centre and then out to us. And, and that's a massive journey for something that is heavy um, and really is, is doing it for no reason. So a lot of CO2 tied up in not only the glass production because it was heavy, but also in, in transporting it. So when we rebranded uh, last year, just over a year ago, we took the opportunity to really concentrate on how we could improve that part of our supply chain. And we focused on, okay, can we source the glass 
closer with less travel. Yes, we can. We can get it from Yorkshire. And for us, it comes on one lorry from Yorkshire. And then can we also um, reduce the weight of each bottle and make it look better? Right. Those were the kind of briefs for the design. So, yes, we reduced the weight by about 230 grams per bottle uh, in terms of just an empty glass. And that reduces the footprint enormously. We had a yeah, big reduction in CO2 because of it. So every single aspect of what you do, you've examined it minutely from a scientific point of view to reduce yeah. the carbon footprint. I mean, I, yeah, it, measure it first is the goal. Yeah. If you measure it first, then you can understand where the winds are right, and yeah. stuff you can't do much about, right? Because there's some stuff that's inherent um, and the technology isn't there. The technology isn't there to, to bring the shipping across, for example. Do you Sorry. want to get in there, Gemma? I was going to say, I'm at work today because I had to come in early to turn the stills on. A lot of distilleries cool their stills with water. So cold water passing over the stills and then the warm water going down the drain. Um, that's a lot of wasted water. So we have a completely closed loop chilling system. So we use a minus two degrees glycol chilling systems and we lose no water when chilling the stills. But then it also comes back to the water design that we have here. We've designed our own water profile for efficiency, but also because of taste, everything we do is also about making the best possible rum we can. And in the days when we made beer, water is obviously such a huge component of beer making. We'd make the same recipe when we lived in Swansea. We'd move back to Exeter, make exactly the same beer, and it tasted completely different. And the only thing had changed was the water. So we couldn't have that with our rum when 60% of it is water. So um, we've designed our whole new water profile, which is can um russ's design is absolutely phenomenal but it also saves us a lot of water as well if i can go back to the the, the more general marketing uh, aspects of the story uh, the name is intriguing uh, it's very important for any new i mean i've often said that why give yourself a, a a wooden spoon when you can give yourself a silver spoon from birth if you've got a a, a distinctive and memorable name how did you get the name two drifters because it is quite different uh, well, it's got a few um, stories behind it, but the first one is when I got married to Russ, I walked up the aisle to Moon River and uh, all over our wedding, the theme was two drifters off to see the world. We had no idea at the time what that actually meant. But then shortly after our wedding, we moved to Vancouver and we spent two, three years in Canada with Russ working at the university there and me just literally given birth to our daughter and then we moved to another part of the world and then we moved to another part of the world and then we decided to set up uh, the distillery but it's also how we kind of view the world is the world is full of amazing cultures and amazing people and all these awesome technologies that we can learn from and it's kind of embracing that we're two drifters we are based in Devon but we're very much a global rum brand and that's the plan. That's a very interesting story. Do you communicate that story as part of your marketing communications in any way? Because it's actually quite interesting. We try, of course. Um, I think it's a real challenge to get that across as succinctly as possible on a on a package, which is normally the message you've got. Our marketing activities definitely aren't as big as they as they should be because we're just over three years old, and you know you command only so much budget. So uh it's always going to be part of the story because it is the story but um yeah. yeah communicating it is a challenge when you have a very short window 
Well, let's come back and to it's it. Interesting. I mean, obviously, the, the... go on. No, I was going to say it's interesting when it comes to the marketing and telling the story, because that's where Russ and I um, not disagree, but we kind of have to meet in the middle a lot. <laughs> so I'm all about storytelling and I think we have an amazing story to tell and I love telling it. So when we came to design our new bottles, I wanted them to look the most vibrant, joyful, beautiful thing on the shelf. Russ cared about that they had a lower carbon footprint than what they were before. And the design team had to somehow make us both happy. Um, and that's what we came up with. But also when it comes to telling our story, we can't be telling our story in places that are producing a lot of carbon to do it. So we don't advertise in magazines. We don't advertise on billboards for that exact reading. So we've got to be quite careful about how we tell our story. <laughs> yeah, so everything is consistent, in other words, with your core beliefs. The, yeah. the design, I suspect, Russ, you won most of the debate on the design because it's, it's, not, it's not that it's not joyful, but it is quite cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think the only thing I really won on was uh, I was very adamant that there would be no plastic within the glue that, that is on there, right? There's obviously no plastic anyway, but the glue is the last bit of fossil fuel use. And, you know, just to be really detailed, the last part that I couldn't win was our natural cork fitting to a wooden top. That right. is the only bit where there's any kind of uh, issue and there is no solution yet available. Um, but otherwise, I think, yeah, I, I won lots of things. But really, the design is all about, OK, cool kind of bartender friendly bottles that, uh, yeah, the lightweight aspect and the labels, those those bits I kind of won on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was I, a nice balance. When I say it. It strikes me as being cool. I mean, in the old-fashioned sense of the word, not the current usage of the word cool. Ah. It, it's very <laughs> kind of laid back in a lot of ways. Um, but you do have a number of different flavoured varieties. Can you describe them and how they came about? We have four runs, and they've all kind of developed over the three years we've been here. So the first one is our pure white rum, which everyone kind of goes, oh, is that like Bacardi? Um it's, it's like Bacardi because it's a white rum, but that's where the similarity ends. Um, our white rum has probably come on the biggest journey with us. Um, it's a blend of, so the, the more you distill the liquid, the smoother it gets, but it tends to lose its flavor. So if we kept distilling our rum, it would be beautifully smooth, but it wouldn't taste very rum-like. And we work incredibly hard on our fermentation side of our rum. A lot of distilleries import rum uh, ready-made and then uh, their skills are come in the spicing of it. We very much believe our skills are in the fermentation of the molasses and all the effort we put into there. So you can taste that work when you try our rum. We didn't want to just keep distilling our rum to make it feel beautiful on the mouth, but have none of that characteristic two drifters flavor. So during lockdown, when we ended up making hand sanitizer for um, key workers, we ended up having to distill our rum a lot to get it so high that it would then be um, used as hand sanitizer. And it gave us this beautiful smooth rum, but no rum flavor. So then we played around and with um, blending our double distilled pot still rum with our then triple distilled column still rum. Um, and it's given us a rum that we 
think showcases everything we're about at Two Drifters. It's unsweetened, there's nowhere to hide, and it is a beautiful, smooth, creamy white rum, which is so versatile and goes with everything. Um, and that's kind of one we're most proud of. And then from that rum comes all our other rums. So we have two spiced rums, we have a lightly spiced rum, and that's my uh, recipe. I don't have a sweet tooth. And a lot of spiced rums are very sweet, very heavy on the clove and the spices. Um, I didn't want that. I wanted one that was delicately spiced, that is good enough to drink neat. But also a lot of mixes you use with rum are quite sweet. So I didn't want to add sugar to sugar. So it's lightly spiced and it sits on star anise flowers for 24 hours before we um, filter and bottle it. Russ then designed our overproof spice pineapple rum, which is not delicate and it's sixty <laughs> percent proof. Robust. It's sweet yeah, it's sweetened, it's got salted caramel, it's got um pineapple in there, and it's fantastic. It's total opposite to the lightly spiced rum, but um it's absolutely flying out and um that's been really well received. And then finally our signature rum. We're only three years old, so where we have comments on is that we don't have that 25-year-old cask rum. We don't import anything made, so we can't fake time. So our signature rum has been in a French oak Madeira cask for a year. Um, no sweetness, no um, spices. It's just sat in the cask for a year before we filter and bottle it. Eventually, we'll have five-year, 10-year, 20-year rums. But at the moment, we've only got a one-year-old rum. And that's our signature rum. So everything is down to your expertise and your commitment to the product. Have you done any consumer tasting at any point to get a view of consumers before you go out into the market? No. <laughs> no, you're completely confident that, that of what you're doing. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. No, I think it's like a balance, isn't it? Because, you know, you start with what we could produce and we tested it in the marketplace and then we improved it where we thought, right, well, this one isn't isn't kind of uh, isn't as good as it should be. The white is a great example. Of and that, when you right? say you tested in the marketplace, Ross, what do you mean yeah. by that? Trade shows. Distillery tours um, and, and things like that, yeah distillery tours, anyone coming to see us at uh, stalls in uh, markets, you know, those sorts of things. When you first start out, those are what you spend a lot of your time doing. And yeah, um, right. there you get instant feedback. Right. And have you made any changes at any point in the product as a result of that feedback? Yes, yeah. So, definitely. Uh, that, yeah. That's the white, isn't it? <laughs> yes, when we first created it. the white, it was, it was too... Um, it was almost grassy-like, wasn't it, Russ? It was very, people use the word funk when it comes to rum. It was very funky and it wasn't refined enough. Um, we just weren't pleased with it, were we? Um, and then, actually, yeah. because of, and I don't know if lockdown hadn't happened and we hadn't made hand sanitizer, I don't know if we got to this place with the white rum. Um, I don't know if we'd have tried making hand sanitizer to know what all that distillation would do to our rum. So, it was a, yeah, that part of it was fortuitous, but that's a big change to our RAM, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter now it's done. So. <laughs> but there was a bit yes. of testing, if you like, involved. Yeah, for sure. There was there was more testing in the fermentation side, really, than that. 
So if you if you play around with the different ingredients in the fermentation, temperatures, yeast strains, those sorts of things, you can affect the flavor dramatically. Your real job as a distiller is just to keep those flavors that you've made in the fermentation in the product. In the product. Could you talk a little bit about distribution and how you went about getting distribution and how successful you've been? We had our first rum off the still in April 2019. Um, we had a few bottles a week so quite quickly people were like oh that's interesting people making rum so we got we used a lot of social media to tell our story and then we grew and grew and grew mainly on the local Devon side of it and then coronavirus hit us and everything just stopped and all these exciting plans we had of getting into hotels and bars and restaurants just disappeared overnight so then we had to think again and it was just the two of us at the time and we didn't have marketing degrees or sales qualifications. We just had to tell our story and the use of social media has just been allowed us to bring people into the distillery who wouldn't normally be able to come because of coronavirus or because of geography. So bringing them in and showing them the effort we go to to make our products um, saved us through coronavirus and the home drinking market really got our rums out there. And then because we grew so well on that platform during lockdown, when the world did open up again, suddenly bars and restaurants and hotels had been hearing about us during coronavirus and kind of wanted our rums on their shelves. And that's really a big growth phase for us now, isn't it, Russ? Yeah, and that's that's where the transition is at the moment. We've, we've seen during a lot of that, that time, you know, online sales were the place you, you'd have uh, the most success and retail um, outlets. So um, farm shops, even all the way up to kind of John Lewis, those sorts of places we'd, we'd sell really well, uh, as well as our own website. And how would you have got into John Lewis? For, because they must have very, very strict criteria uh, as to what products they buy. They must be being approached all the time. How did you get in there? Yeah. <laughs> Gems? <laughs> uh, tenacity, I think, basically before... <laughs> This before this job, I was um, um, in medical sales. So I, long ago, I did my degree in nursing. I did um, intensive care nursing for a few years, and then I left and did medical sales. Um, and I still don't think there's anything harder than walking around a busy hospital, talking to busy doctors, trying to get them to listen to what you're doing. So I just use that in the rum world. And I now have this product that I'm hugely proud of that has an amazing story that actually, if it's allowed and gets to the point we want to go, can make a huge difference to the carbon emissions created by the drinks industry. And it's just, we have a great story. Our product is brilliant. Rum, gin did very good at creating this craft uh, boom in spirits. And now the rum world is kind of following there as well. So the rum ideas, people getting really interested in, the fact that we make it in the UK, fact that we have a carbon negative footprint the fact that we're a startup business doing it with the sale of our house um it's just there's a lot of people to kind of get behind yeah what about the, what social media platforms did you use Gemma, to get the story out in the first stages everything <laughs> even the ones mm. i wasn't very good at at the time i was on youtube learning how to do them uh, instagram facebook linkedin twitter um whatever people were kind of looking to at the time I was doing every platform um seeing how the engagement was tweaking it changing it it's just um 
I kind of use it as having had my nursing background. I'm a chatty person. I like to talk to people and I just use social media like that. If someone had come to the distillery, I was showing them what I would show them if I took them around and going, this is how we're making our rum today. Come and see this. This is what we're doing today. And I just did that on all the platforms. And had you got much visual material or was it just talking? talking no, it was, it was visuals, using my phone, doing the camera, showing people. So it was um, me very much using my phone in the distillery. Uh, though we had at that time, we had no professional content at all. It was, yeah, all us doing it. And can you tell us how many followers you've got on any of the platforms? Yeah, all combined. We have about fifteen to 20,000 followers. So um, it's growing. We always like more. Um, and tell us about the trade. How many How many outlets are you in? Are you in any of the multiples? So outlet-wise, we're uh, we. It takes a long time to to break into kind of the larger retails. Those. Uh, it's been a two-year journey. We are about to launch with co-op um, in parts of the UK, so not the entire coverage, but uh, ongoing conversations with those, of course. And like I say, that that takes time. Um, in terms of dis other distribution, we've really noticed a big switch, switch towards the on-trade. And there we're having a massive impact in certainly the cocktail scene in London. Um, daiquiri seems to be the most fashionable drink uh, there at the moment. And, you know, our white rum makes an absolutely stunning daiquiri. Uh, strawberry daiquiris, you know, you can mix all kinds of fruits in there as well. Those are very, very popular. And really, we're flying through quite a lot of rum over the summer been absolutely um crazy crazy busy what about money and you know needing more funds to expand you were involved in crowdsourcing what are you doing now so yeah we we did crowdfunding uh way back in 2020 and we have around 700 investors that are on the journey with us um and that's absolutely fantastic for building up a network of mini ambassadors really who are all very proud of the product um but now is not a good time to be crowdfunding necessarily. Um, certainly tricky and tricky climate for everyone. And so other sources of money are certainly um, exactly what I'm involved in day to day at the moment and trying to find a way to grow because growing for a distillery is fairly uh, painful in terms of uh, duty, tax duty and uh, ingredients is all up front and then payment is much longer. 60, 90 days till you get it back. So as you grow very quickly, uh, you obviously quickly run out of money. And how did you get the 700? Uh, I mean, how did you communicate? How did they come to you in the first place? <laughs> That's back to Gemma's social media, amazing right, yeah, platform. Yeah, right? yeah. She'll shout and shout until people will listen. So We used a very well-established crowdfunding campaign as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so... Okay. Yeah, Crowd, Crowdcube's platform helped with that. Yeah, That brought a lot of stuff. We had a lot of uh, email followers. So you sign up to the newsletter on the website and yeah. there's about three and a half thousand there, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You're a member of the B Corp, which is now becoming much more widely known. And I suspect much more widely, it started in America, but it's now much more widely known in the UK. What do you have yeah. to do to become a member of that? That's kind of the most rigorous process isn't it <laughs> yeah uh so that that involves an awful lot of uh i guess business self-reflection so you need to uh, be able to evidence that you look after your community the workers um 
the governance of the company and also the environment and and those kind of key areas you need to you need to hit certain scores and by that i mean achieve evidence that you can achieve lots of things in each of those categories and then if you get a score above what what their minimum is uh, you can then submit to be fully audited checked verified and then uh, become a b corp um, but it's a very long process that i believe is now taking nearly 18 months, two years in the UK. And do you find it has helped the growth of your business? What I find really interesting about doing the B Corp process was, um, and I think it's a misconception about B Corp, is that people think it's a sustainability platform. If you are very sustainable, you will do well on B Corp. Um, and we, when we started the journey, that's kind of what we assumed would happen. We scored very highly on our B Corp area section of the assessment, um, but some areas we hadn't even considered. And if you didn't consider them, but you had the best sustainability process in the world, you would probably still fail your B Corp assessment. It's the other areas of the B Corp that we've really taken on board. So we now do uh, team beach cleans. Uh, so we close a distillery for a day and we go and do team beach cleans. We do a lot of outreach work. We have a lot of um, we have like team employee runs every Tuesday. We have a running club and we've changed the way our pensions work and we've changed our banking and all these things that as a business, I don't think Russ and I would have known to change. We hadn't gone through the B Corp process. So has it increased sales or uh, I don't know if it's had a direct impact on our growth phase, but it's given our values and ethics of our business even more grounding to the fact that we are a force for good. Yeah, and putting it on the bottle now, it's on the label, you know, that that will mean more going forwards as more people do it. But it's fantastic as a framework for how yeah. to run a business. Uh, is there much awareness among the public of the whole B Corp concept in the UK? <laughs> Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. I think yet. it needs it's growing, more though. attention. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect there soon will be. Okay, you, you obviously get a very good reaction from the trade who tend to be quite sceptical of the amount of new products that they're approached with on a continuous basis. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Do you want to take that, Gemma? <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say it's quite useful not having a gin bringing to the meeting. I think it's useful to have something other than gin at the moment. Um, but yes, I'll let you explain Russ, why we get a few more open doors than most. Yeah, I think it's a, it's partly about the packaging. The bottles themselves look absolutely stunning uh, in the real life, but also in any images. And the combination of that means that it draws people's attention. Then when they read a bit more detail from the trade, this is, uh, or ask questions, they start to explore the fact that your rum, like Gemma says, it's not gin, so it's a different category. It's a category that is expected to grow over the next few years. And then when they ask a little bit more detail, they see the fact that we have a carbon negative footprint um, written on the bottle. And that really usually just generates a question from somewhere. Uh, and yeah, very much they say, right, I, want, I need those good looking bottles on my shelf, or I need to understand your sustainability. I have a sustainable menu that I'm developing tell me about it and then the doors are opened from uh, that that route basically right could you tell us a little bit about your e-commerce venture which is exactly the opposite of the trade in some in some respect we we do have an online shop which we've seen 
I was going to say we've seen big growth in it and we have but it has tailed off during um lockdown and home drinking we were seeing dozens of packages going out the door every day to all over the UK obviously when we all opened up and got outside that tailed off slightly but it's definitely higher than where it was before um we started but we have a lot of availability to buy our rum online in different shops so we do have an e-commerce shop but we're also available on amazon and um whiskey exchange and masters of malt and fenix and um, all these different places that you can buy online so uh there really is no reason for anyone not to be able to get a two drifters bottle Okay, at the very beginning, you went to a, a very upmarket design company, which obviously played a part in the whole process. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your partnership with them? Sure. Yeah, the um, the, the crowdfunding uh, aspects. So in 2020, the crowdfunding that we did, that enabled us to really elevate our product from where Gemma and I had taken it pretty much as far as we possibly could right we have no background in package design we have no background in the spirits industry um so we did the best we could at the start and we really thought two drifters is a fantastic story the product is now developed to a point where it's delicious and needs to scream it uh in the package how do we achieve that um and so Gemma was pretty forceful in how <laughs> we chose a design agency she was like there's there's I don't think there's any point in going for anyone else <laughs> it was almost that that strong is that fair very fair what I would like to say Russ and I are good at is taking our egos out of the business we have done every part of this business we know what we're good at we know what we like we know what we're not very good at um we are not designers. We are, when we set up the business, we only had so much money. It was the sale of our house. The equipment's expensive. Renting this uh, aircraft hangar is expensive. We thought either you could put money into the design and have an amazing bottle, or we put money into showing how we make rum from scratch with a carbon negative footprint. And we still believe if our rum is no good, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how great we look the rum needs to be amazing. So we spent the first few years with a very simple bottle, very simple design that we really did ourselves, but we focused all our attention and money on crafting this rum and tweaking and experimenting and just getting the rum to the best it could possibly be. And then when crowdfunding happened, we were like, right, now we need a design and a package that shows how good the rum is inside the bottle. And that's kind of where Here Design came in. It was like These guys can really reflect what's going on inside the bottle, what's going on inside the distillery, what we're trying to create. Um, so the, we couldn't do half measures on that because we don't cut any corners with our rum. So we were definitely weren't going to cut corners with our design. And how did you choose them? We were recommended them by um, someone who had worked with them before. We went to various design agencies and had a few, we had a whole tender process go on. So we got a, a lot of um, all different budgets, all different stances on what two drifters should be. And I would say we didn't know we were designers 
and I still don't think we're designers, but what here design did brilliantly was listen to Russ and I, even just our conversations, our bickerings, our small arguments, just our talking off Zoom, just how we got on. And then they listened to that and they took us and put it in a bottle. They didn't take a British rum that's kind of on trend and doing very and with big plans and put that in a bottle. They put how Russ and I talk and what they see in a bottle. I just thought that was brilliant. That's a very interesting line. They took us and put us in a bottle. Um, yeah. Finally, your partnership with, with Time Works. What does that involve? Yeah, so that links back to uh, the calculation that we do to achieve the carbon negative footprint. So um, within the supply chain, you can find all the parts of emissions that are created that we can't avoid. Um, so those are the uh, glass bottle, the molasses, all those, all those bits. Um, you can't avoid those emissions because we don't have any control over them. So what are we going to do about them? Well, we have a partnership with this company, Climeworks, Climeworks uh, are now becoming pretty mainstream. Uh, so Ocado and even Coldplay using them on their tour um, to, to remove emissions. And Climeworks have a fantastic technology um, called direct air capture. Um, and it's a machine that will suck CO2 out of the atmosphere directly from the air. Um, and it then goes through a subsequent process where it's uh, converted into stone and then stored underground so it's physical removal from the atmosphere and then long-term permanent storage uh, underground so it's a different way of removing co2 completely different to what a tree can achieve and it is physical removal from the atmosphere so that kind of uh yeah it, it is is the way that we remove emissions we cannot avoid right um but it comes at a price so it's a, it's an expensive technology um i'll put it in context for you um, I think the current price of carbon in the EU is around 80, 90 euro um, per tonne. And Climeworks will cost in the region of 800 um, right. and up up from there per tonne. So that gives you an enormous incentive yeah. to avoid, much more important to avoid CO2 emissions than it is to just remove it. Um, and that's where it flips, right? Because trees are so cheap, it's very easy and tempting to just pay for removal in, well, nominal removal. I assume you're going to be so successful that you'll have a very, very well-produced long video telling the full story all over YouTube and all over social media. Uh, <laughs> you certainly deserve it. Gemma and Russ, thank you very much for such sharing such an interesting story with us and every success in the future. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Board Beer Brand Forum podcast. You can find out more about the show and the Brand Forum on the Bordbia website. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you're listening now and you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. See you next time.